Last week, we discussed the need for discipline in the Christian life. And this week, the first area that we're going to be discussing from our book is the area of purity. Those of you that weren't here last week, this is from the uh, Kent Hughes book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. There is a companion book that goes along with it, Disciplines of a Godly Woman. Uh, You poll any group of Christians, and I would guess that they would convey that our personal purity, specifically in relationship to, to what we see and what we hear, is under attack now more than ever just simply because of the availability of technology whether that has to do with the television or our smartphones or the radio or the internet and uh, while I don't disagree in regards to the impact that technology and the things that are there accessible to the Christian is is something that would stain us and in, in how we live and how we act today this is not something that is new um, this is something that even Paul addresses to the church at Corinth back in the first century and has been a problem even before that as well. And so whether we're talking about issues related to to sensuality or just simply purity in relationship to things that God has said are pure or things that God has said are holy or aren't holy, it's something that for us as Christians, both men and women, something that I believe that needs to be addressed and needs to be taken seriously and needs for us to have discipline in. And so that leads us to what we're going to discuss today. If you would, go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11 is the home to the well-known story of David and Bathsheba. And uh, at first glance at this story, or at the first thought about what this story is about, we probably think that this is a lesson, or it may be thought of as a lesson on the dangers of adultery. However, as God on several occasions throughout His Word uses adultery as a picture of the relationship between him and his people and the relationship that is sometimes marred and um, a problem because of sin. I thought that the pictures that even that God uses in relationship to God and his people, we can also talk about in relationship to our lives and the purity that he has called uh, us to live. So I don't think it's inappropriate for us to use this lesson and this story here for, for our topic on purity. Five brief lessons that I want to address with you today, and this is where the handout comes into play. But five lessons that I want to want us to, to look at, and uh, let's look at David's example in each of these scenarios, and then we'll quickly make some application here. First one, as this particular account begins, David's approximately 50 years old. So he's not a young man. He's not an old, old man. He, he's at the top of his brilliant career. From childhood, you think about the fact that he's been a person of integrity. It says, uh, Samuel says and writes of him, when, when David is chosen as being the next king, king in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God himself looked at David's heart and said, that's something that I like. You think about, too, at the point of, of his career and even young career, he was a man that had not just had a, a heart of integrity, but he had a brave heart. Um, he was somebody who had killed a bear, killed a lion, uh, killed Goliath. And now he is the king of Israel, God's nation. He's conquered nation upon nation. And for all intents and purposes, and for his position at this point in time, like he's on top of the world. And you would think that he would hardly be a candidate for, for moral disaster. And yet we all know how the story goes. Um, But before we get on to some of the other lessons, let me just stop for a second application-wise in this point. For many of us in this room, we're probably just moving along our Christian lives, doing what God has called us to do. 
Um, hopefully being what God has called us to be, obviously not without sin, but we're, we're seeking what God wants for our lives. But we are aware of the fact that as Americans, despite whatever pressure that you felt in the last two years about your health or about uh, the price of gas and how you can afford that now to go anywhere, the fact of the matter is that we as Americans have it pretty good. And what typically happens when, uh, when you feel like everything is good and uh, times where you know, happiness is and I'm all cared for and whatever, uh, you've probably seen this even in your spiritual lives, but we as, hum- as humans, we get content. And sometimes that can cause us to let down our guards. And sometimes uh, maybe the discipline that we had for uh, getting up early and reading God's word or spending time in prayer because there was something pressing in our lives or pressing on our minds that really caused us to go to God, we just don't feel that need as much. And uh, I think even of, of the psalmist that said, it was good for me, paraphrasing, it was good for me that I was afflicted because I learned your, your testimonies, right? And when I'm not afflicted, I, I don't really need those testimonies. That's what the sinful heart says. And so just like David, we need to be very aware, we need to be more aware in those times because when times are good, even though the discipline doesn't seem to, to be uh, pressing or seem to be something that we need to have, stay disciplined, right? Stay disciplined when things are good or when things seem to be going uh, the way that you would like for them to go. Second one for David, there was a desensitization. In 2 Samuel 5, it says almost as, as an aside in verse number 13, David took more wives, or excuse me, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. For those of you that know uh, Hebrew history and, and history of the Bible, uh, what's the problem with that? Does anybody remember the three things that the kings weren't supposed to do? Accumulate horses, accumulate wealth, and accumulate wives. He was good on, those first, the, on the first two. Wives was actually in the middle, so it's, he was good on the first and the last. Second one, not so good. Uh, now, his son was not good with the money when, and the horses and whatnot, but he was good on the first, uh, the first and the last one. But the wives part, he was not. However, you think about it, that day, day and age, um, the collection of wives, was that something that was legal? Yeah, it was legal for, for kings to do that. Um, you, you conquer a country, you country, conquer a nation, and you take more wives. But it was still sin for a man in David's position. Uh, in other words... David's embrace of a socially acceptable practice had desensitized him to God's call and made him easy prey for this fatal sin. Application. Whether it's what we allow ourselves to look at on television or on our phones or on social media or the music that we expose ourselves to on the radio, on the internet, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You've heard of it. Others of you, you do. That's why I'm talking. That's why I mentioned it. Uh, I truly believe that a slow desensitization may be our biggest threat today as Christians. Lest I sound like an old person or whatever. Do some research on marketing and on advertising and, uh, and, and how those that are outside of a Christian context talk about those things. Whether it's something that they want you to buy, like their products or their services. Uh, or their way that they want you to think about something. If you don't think that a slow desensitization or a slow change of thought process is how they're trying to get to you, then you are naive. 
nobody is coming straight out and just throwing things in your face anymore. They're showing you over time this is what you need or exposing you to it very slowly. Or, and what's happening over time is that that sharpness that we have in our spiritual walk and our spiritual disciplines is being dulled. And so the admonition that I have to you is be alert to what you are allowing yourself to look at. Be alert to what you are allowing yourself to listen to or be exposed to, whether it's you or your family. Um, be alert to where you are allowing yourself to go, whether that's physically or virtually. And this may be a bigger thing for our children and our grandchildren, but again, lest we hate on the younger, well, that's just stuff that they do. I know plenty of people, the ages of everyone in this room, who are spending time on platforms like Facebook and I'm telling you as somebody who understands social media because I teach it and it's part of my job. They are incorporating things in the world into, I don't care if you're a young person or an older person, into your feeds and showing you things that are desensitizing you to the things of God. Third, we see the example here, relaxation. Some of you are wondering if I was ever going to get to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11, look at verse number 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David tarried still at Jerusalem. As I alluded to earlier David was he was at the point of his career where uh, it really wasn't necessary for him to to personally go out. He just sent out Joab to kind of clean up things and and get things taken care of. And although he may have had a kingly responsibility, he felt that maybe he deserved some relaxation here. Um, I, I believe an application and maybe even a warning with this, I, we too can feel like maybe our work at our jobs or our work as, as parents or grandparents, or it could be something connected to maybe our, our church ministries or some sort of ministry that we do, that after a while, like I, I, de I deserve a break. And, and you probably do. And vacations are not bad. I just came back from a vacation about a week ago. Vacations are not bad and they're wonderful. But think about your last vacation for maybe not for all of you, okay, because you're disciplined already. Uh, but what usually happens when you get that opportunity for re relaxation? I get done with my vacation and I want another vacation. <laughs> Why? Because I got to relax. I didn't have to. My wife and I went away for the week, uh, for the weekend. Well, that's a lot. Well, we went away for a night. When you have three kids, you go away for a night, right? Okay. Uh, and uh, when you go away, by the way, it, people are always like, we just, maybe I just don't love my kids enough. Uh, we just talked about our kids and just talked about kids and just kids, and we just wanted to come back to them so quickly. I didn't. <laughs> I love my kids and I miss my kids, but like I wasn't like running back to be with them. But I enjoyed not having responsibilities for them. <laughs> I loved on Friday night not having to put anybody to bed. It was fantastic. And, and the relaxation is not a problem. However, you understand this as well. That can oftentimes when we relax, we relax again, kind of in point number one, relax our alertness to things that may cause us to be tempted to sin. And I think it goes a step beyond that as well, because in this case, David had a responsibility. I had a responsibility to come back and be a parent. Or I had a responsibility in my household to 
instead of being on my phone or sitting there just watching television after a long day's work, I, ha I signed up for this when I decided that I would follow God's call to be a father. And so with those three kids running around the house, I have a job, I have a responsibility to parent them. And even though I worked hard, and even though I may be deserving the world's standards or anybody's standards, a break, I still have a responsibility. And when I don't fulfill that responsibility, I'm missing out on doing what God has called me to do, but usually often a step further than that, that usually opens me up to doing things that I shouldn't be doing. So, relaxation. Fourth, next one. There was a fixation. Verse number two, back in the text. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? At David's first glance... He should have turned the other way. And I think even, I mean, the fact of the matter is, just because, again, with so much, whether it's a, something on television or on your phone or on a billboard or whatever, you, you, we're exposed to things that are not acceptable. And, and that's just going to be the, the fact of the matter. I don't, necess, I don't think, you may disagree, but I don't think that's sin. I think, though that when it comes to what David had here, he should have turned away at first glance, but he didn't. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. His look became a stare, and his stare ended up with a fixation to the point where he inquires of her. And the author warns in the book, he says, when we are in the grip of lust, the reality of God fades. And in David's case, it was a sensual lust, but it could be really a, a strong desire for anything that challenges God's rulership of our hearts. It could be money, it could be possession, it could be fame, it could be gratification in some other manner. When our eyes are on those things, our eyes quickly turn away from God. Uh, we're very familiar with Matthew 6.24, maybe a passage you want to jot down, but one that you already know, no man can serve two masters. When you serve a master, your eyes are fixed on what that master calls you to do. You can't have fixed eyes on two things. It says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So a fixation. Next, for David, this quickly went from a fixation to a rationalization. Look back at verse number three. And one of his servants said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The servant tries to dissuade David, but, but he'll have, no, have none of it. Verse 4, it says, And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him and lay with her. A mind consumed with fulfilling its own desires has an infinite capacity for rationalization. It could, you could... You may hear somebody say, you could have this phrase come out of your mouth, but how can something that has brought such enjoyment be wrong? Or, God's will for me is to be happy. Certainly, he wouldn't deny me anything that's essential to my happiness, would he? Or, it's not that big of a deal. Or, it's at least not as bad what that other person is, is doing. Instead of application, let me just ask this. Could there be something that we're rationalizing that either goes against something God has said 
or something that challenges God for that rulership of our hearts. And then finally, David's desensitization, his relaxation, his fixation, and his rationalization set him up for one of the greatest falls in history and ultimately his degeneration. Uh, you're familiar with the, with the rest of the story. What are some of the results that, that came from this? There's murder that immediately followed. What else was there? Okay, loss of son. What else happened to this? I mean, just look, continue to look at David's life. He has one son that, that um, rapes his daughter. Another son kills that son. Uh, he has another son that challenges him for the throne and basically causes him to have to... I mean, there's thing after thing after thing after thing. Do you think that David's glance at Bathsheba would have been anything more than just that, a glance, if he'd have been able to know all of the results of his action? And before we are quick to, oh man, can't believe he got that one wrong, uh, the application is this, would any of us stray from God's word if we knew it would follow? And while that may, uh, some may not like that because uh, just fearing the consequences, I think it's a fear of God because God says there are consequences to all of our actions. Um, and so there, there's, no, I don't, I don't want, I, I do want my children to fear me, but I want them to fear that spank as well, right? Um, and that's its own thing, but. We won't take the time to read all these. If you want to jot down a few of these, maybe if you go back and study any of this. But God's call for us to be holy is clear. I think we understand that. And uh, it, it does extend the holiness. The call to be holy extends well beyond the physical purity that's addressed here in this chapter. It's a call in, in all, all areas of our lives, right? And it's a com command, I, tr I tried, this is not even an extensive list, but I, I tried to make sure that we understand this isn't something that's just Old Testament. It's not something that's just New Testament. This is who God is. This is what God calls us to be. And obviously, why does he want us to be holy and be pure? Because he's holy and pure. And we talked about that example, and we'll mention it again here in just a few moments. At, you may be sitting there thinking, I, I did, wanted to make sure my wife admonished me with this. I wanted to make sure that I did this at the end. Uh, you may be sitting there thinking, uh, you know, great, Tony, I got all that. But how do I get disciplined in, in this area or in any area, really? So this is the practical, another kind of application to it all. Um, if that's what you were thinking, I'm glad you asked. Here's what, we, here's what we'll say about it. My suggestion or several suggestions or the author's suggestions. Accountability. Uh, the American mindset isn't God's mindset. The American mindset is, I can do this on my own. I can accomplish this if I work hard enough, enough at it. Uh, you weren't designed to, to do it alone. You were designed, we were designed by God as a Christian body. We were designed to live in community with each other. And uh, with that comes the responsibility to help one another, to bear one another's burdens, to help keep each other accountable for things and that may look like finding someone who will ask you hard questions it may be just finding someone who will ask you with regularity um, as a coach you quickly realize this that uh, each person is motivated differently some people I have to be on them constantly right others I can just check in with them every now and then uh, you have internal motivation you have external motivation but the fact of the matter is they all still need a coach doesn't matter what level of motivation and to think that you are the exception 
and you don't need any kind of motivation. You don't really need to be a part of the team. You got this. Let me just tell you as a coach, I hate coaching those kinds of players. <laughs> okay? And no, God does not, illustration breaks down, God does not hate coaching you, but don't be proud like that. Okay? You are misunderstanding how, again, you were designed and the church was designed if you have the mentality of, I can do this, I don't need anybody else. So there is a level of accountability that we all need. Uh, that's how God designed it. Second one, prayer. Prayer. Uh, the discipline of, of prayer is actually its own whole thing that we'll get to a little bit later on, but I'll still mention it. Um, praying and praying specifically for purity in relationship to whatever your whatever area you're, you're trying to stay pure in is important. Without prayer, uh, a demonstration probably of uh, what, what prayer is is just a humble dependence on God. That's, that's what prayer is. I don't need to pray if I think that I got this. Um, so prayer itself is an is a expression of your humble dependence. But you think about that fact. You don't pray. Don't expect the Holy Spirit to give you the, the power to do whatever you're trying to do or to get victory in whatever you're trying to get victory in or to have that discipline to live that, that purified life. So prayer is an important, important part. Um, memorization. You think about the example that Christ gives us in the wilderness. Uh, how did he stay pure when he was tempted? He used this, this sword of the Spirit, right? Uh, Ephesians 6. That's the only offensive weapon that, that we have. Um, and, and if I don't have passages, whether that's, you know, it's great, to, it's great to memorize specific passages for whatever you're trying to stay pure in, but the whole counsel of God, I, need, I should be memorizing large portions of Scripture. And <clears throat> I think that's something that maybe I just waited too long. I didn't know what I was doing or didn't understand it or whatever. Um, I do think that it is a, an area of, if I'm struggling with this, I do memorize a passage related to that. But I think for, I'm just telling you as once a young person, I think young people misunderstand things. So we need to be careful that it's not just, I struggle with this, so I memorize this passage. Um, all of God's word works together, right? And when I have that bank in my memory and I'm dwelling on those things, again, Go back to the example of David. If he was doing his responsible, if he was taking seriously his responsibilities and doing what he was called to do, um, and you wouldn't have time for, it, or even the focus to be tempted to sin in these other areas. So memorizing all of Scripture is important. Thy word have I hid in my heart, uh, hid, stored up, is another way to translate that, that I might not sin against thee. Psalms one nineteen. Want more of Psalms one nineteen? Come back on Wednesday nights. Next one. Set boundaries. I said this last week, or I alluded to this last week. If you get up in the morning and the first thing that you do is look at your phone and you know that's not where you should be looking, you should be looking at your Bible, here's a real easy tip. People are like, what should I, what should I really do about that? Pick up your phone, walk it the night before to the farthest place away from your bed, and instead put your Bible on your nightstand. <laughs> If you have a problem with rolling over and picking up your phone immediately, when you roll over, don't make it available for you to pick it up. Uh, I've heard of other people. I'm just real, you know, area that I feel like kind of a little bit of lazy. Like my alarm goes off and I hit it seven times before I get up. You know a real easy solution to that? Some of you have found that. What's that solution? Yeah, move your alarm to the other side of the room. Like there are some very easy, simple things to do with, with those kinds of things. Um, 
If you eat too many sweets, stop buying sweets and storing them in your house. Only make them available at ridiculous prices at McDonald's, right? The one by my house still doesn't have the inside opened up. So now I have to sit in a long line and I have to pay exorbitant fees just to get my caramel sundae. The other day I did it. We did sit in the line. We were on our trip. That's when I didn't have to put the kids to bed. Whatever. Uh, in all seriousness, you say it's just not that easy. I, I never said it was easy. I just remember the phrase over and over that Dr. Berg said in, in uh, I heard him say it one time, like the Christian life is not easy, but it is simple. And uh, Proverbs, you know this from Proverbs 6.27. And by the way, this, this idea of it being simple is not my idea. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? You say, what in the world does that have to do with? You don't want to get burned? Then don't hold fire in your chest, right? If you want to have victory over, fill in the blank, then don't do that thing. Make it hard for yourself to do that thing. If you have a problem with being on Facebook too much, delete it off your phone. Stop making it easy for yourself. Make it hard for yourself to sin. Now, the problem is, is when that is the only technique that you're using. Don't expect to get victory over things if that's the only technique because you are a smart individual and you can figure out a way to make it work. Okay, you're like lying in bed with like a 10 foot pole, like smacking the alarm across the room. Like you'll figure a way out to get around that. But this is a great, these are, you need to do all these things, okay? I would suggest doing all these things, but this is a great place to start. Uh, and then finally, we need divine awareness. What do I mean by this? Think back about the story about, about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Divine awareness is what sustained him through that whole temptation. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And then he fled. Uh, his fear of God is the thing that helped him not only understand and identify what was unacceptable behavior. It didn't only, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It not, that fear of the Lord not only helped him understand what was right and what was wrong, but it drove him to action. And this is where we've, I've discussed it before, but <clears throat> you know, that, um, that believing and that understanding and that doing of God's uh, will and understanding his word only comes from me understanding his word and then allowing it to live out through my life. It's not enough for me just to memorize things and to, oh yeah, to dad's point, like I read that, I memorized that one time. There is a power that goes along with then acting that out. The knowledge of God becomes then something that I am living out in my life. <clears throat> so for Joseph, it helped him to, to do what was right, or in this case, not do what was wrong, because he understood this is something that does not please the Lord. So having a design awareness. Uh, as I said it before, and, and said it even this hour, our example and our motivation for all of this has to be Christ who lived a sinful, sinless life, excuse me, uh, on this earth while he was here. While he was here. And uh, it, if this is, is in the case with any, any area of discipline, if this kind of living is something that God has called us to, then it's something that he will empower us to do. And too many times I hear sometimes from Christians, but too many times I'll hear something to the effect of, I just can't do it. I don't ever think that I'll get victory over this. You're telling yourself a lie. Because if God has called you to do that thing, then you will be able to do that thing with his power. 
And if you're not having victory in that area, first of all, have a little bit more grace for yourself because God has grace for you. He's working with you. This is a, a lifelong journey. But yes, there should be growth and change along the way. And if you're struggling in these areas, look for, am I not maybe doing some of these things that are up here on the list? <clears throat> but again, I, I hope you don't, those of you that are here last week know I said this, but this is not just a, I can do it, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this type of thing. You're not the little engine that could, right? Um, you do need God's help, but there is a, it's clearly stated in God's word. There is always this aspect of God doing, but our responsibility as well. And so take those steps, start doing, start, start stopping doing something, whatever you're struggling with. Uh, but God, again, has, has called us to do this, and it is something that we can do with his help.